Welcome to The Road Back to You. Looking at life through the lens of the Enneagram, I'm Suzanne Stabile. And I'm Ian Cron. And we're so glad that you're listening today. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Road Back to You. Um, looking at life through the lens of the Enneagram. I am right now privileged to be sitting across the table from the inimitable, the beautiful, and the number one in her class graduate of the Lubbock Charm School in Texas, Suzanne Stabile. Good morning, Suze. Good morning. How are you? I'm really doing very well this morning. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've been up a long time. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Why is that? I don't know. Just a lot's happened this morning already. Oh, gosh. Right. Well, it's a beautiful day here in Nashville. It's cooled down. I think it's falls upon us. It's 90 degrees, 76% humidity. Feels like Dallas, doesn't it? Fall is in the air. Fall is in the air. Have you ever been to Australia? No, but I want to. You know, Australia, I went, I've been there once, and um, it's not close to here. It's very far. It's further than Floyd Day to Texas. Didn't you go on one of those planes, though, that has bedrooms or something? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but unfortunately, I wasn't in one of them. Yeah, oh, no. oh, oh, oh. I was in cattle class. Where oh, they, actually, yeah. where they, you only get to stand, and they duct tape you to the wall. That's the seat that... <laughs> That I that I had on that that particular plane. Uh, the reason I say that I'll raise this whole um, matter of the of the land down under is that our guest today, Darren Whitehead, is from Australia. I know it's exciting to talk to somebody who's only been here eighteen years and right. still brings with him Australian and charm. And he has the coolest accent, doesn't he? Well, it's almost as cool as mine. Like I said, he has the coolest accent. I. <laughs> Uh, let me tell you all a little bit about Darren. Darren uh, has three daughters. He uh, and is married, has three daughters. He is from Australia, though he's lived here for 18 years. While here, he's he's had quite an accomplished life since he's he's been here. He was a pastor uh, for eight years at Willow Creek, and now he's the senior pastor at Church of the City here in in Nashville. Darren, welcome. Thank you. We are so delighted you're here. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm a big fan of the podcast. I've been listening and... Uh, Delighted to be in the mix. You know what? We're even more glad you're here now because you just stroked the two of us. And really, that we, we're both in the Enneagram. We're in the image conscious uh, along with you. We're in the image conscious yes. triad, except we're needier than yeah. you are, actually, <laughs> frankly. Isn't that right? Well, yeah, you are. Well, okay. I didn't know we were voting. Anyhow. Okay. Uh, so we've got the whole heart triad here. We, actually, I didn't think about that. Heartfelt show. This should be a heartfelt show. The entire most image conscious. Heart. Heart. Feeling triad right. is right here in the room. It's People a lot of shame, be, though, too. They're going to be weeping through this. They're going to be weeping. Absolutely. Feeling, perhaps. Maybe feeling. Maybe feeling. We're talking about threes today. We're talking about the performers, and uh, which uh, you are representing for us this morning. Uh oh. Uh oh. Yeah, I know. We are, uh, but we're glad that you are because you're an integrated and evolved three from from what we know. Suze, tell us a little bit about threes to give people context who may not know the Enneagram that well. Threes are the core number in the feeling triad, which means they uh, read the world with feelings, but feelings are so messy, so they set them aside so they can be efficient and effective and get things done. Threes are uh, concerned that they're good at what they do because they want people to follow them. They want to establish themselves as leaders so that people will trust them and feel like they can kind of fall in behind them. 
Threes are um, kind of intentionally distant from feelings, so they have to do some work to use feelings to communicate with the ones they love the most and to pick up on the feelings of the people that they are serving in some way. So how does that work for you, Darren, as a pastor, to be feeling dominant and feeling repressed in Enneagram language? Well, it's... It's, uh, it's confusing in many ways. And I find that as I've been kind of going on this journey internally myself to, I, I feel like I can um, read what people are needing in the moment from a feeling standpoint. Um, but then the second part of me is often thinking about, um, all right, so that's good. We need to get back to work now. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. That's, that's kind of how I tend to, process that you, some of the work that you have been uh, or that I have been listening f- from you about the, the centers, uh-huh. feeling, thinking, doing has been so fascinating for me to realize that I, I, I'm not intuitively good at understanding my own feelings. Right. And so I've got to be intentional about that. When I am, it still starts to get in the way of, of being efficient and productive and so I, I still want to sort of try to put it aside, but, but it's been very helpful. Hmm. Yeah, you know, one real easy way we could talk about that for listeners is that you take in information with feelings, but you don't uh, make sense of what you've taken in with feelings. Yeah. And it changes things when you include feelings in both parts a lot. It changes things a lot. So you've had quite a successful career. Um, how did you find a a path through all of that sought-after success for any three to understand the Enneagram and to somehow want to take that in as part of your way of maybe self-reflecting and growing. Yeah. What's interesting for me as an immigrant to this country is the more that I've learned about Enneagram and the more I've learned about my threeness, I've learned that the United States is like crack for a three. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it is... A meritocracy, and um, so I, I've lived here for you know 18 years, and have learned that Americans love achievement, and a, a lot of affirmation comes from achievement, and uh, in, in some ways it sort of becomes a a self fulfilling prophecy. You, you you try to be successful at something, and then you have more opportunities to do things. And the United States is f- from someone from the other side of the world. The United States kind of feels like the center of the world you know, media and brands and, you know, sort of global, the global perspective. Uh, about eight years ago, uh, all of my friends at the time started talking about Enneagram. They were all getting into it and it just annoyed me. Um, <laughs> if, if you don't know about Enneagram yeah. and people are using all that language, it's just annoying. Yeah, and it's and obnoxious. It is obnoxious. Yeah, it's really not very you know, and, then, and then it just it shows up everywhere. You know, like someone says something funny and they're like, oh, that's such a seven thing to say. Oh. And then someone walks out of the room and, and you go, oh, they're just being a nine. You know, it's like, where are we going to go for dinner? Don't ask them. They're a nine. They won't care. They'll go along with everyone else. And Yeah, we call them number thumpers. Yeah. And, and then it's like, you know, don't worry about cleaning up. We've got a two here. They'll take care of it, you know. And <laughs> And so, and, and I'm just like, it, it, it just all felt like another language. And then I saw like the Enneagram symbol and I'm like, what is this? An occultic voodoo symbol? So I, I was a little resistant to the whole thing, but because so many of my friends were into it, I, it was really, I, I've either got to start understanding this or I'm just going to get new friends. So, um, 
Brandy and I were on a vacation with Shauna and Aaron Nyquist. Yeah. And um, I, I will never forget this moment. But uh, Shauna and I were talking and we we're talking about Enneagram and I was still new to it. And I was thinking, oh, maybe I'm an eight. And I'm so not an eight. But I was thinking, maybe I'm an eight, you know. Uh, I perceived eights as being strong leaders and powerful personalities. And I guess that's who I wanted to be. And Shauna said to me, no, I think you're a three. And then she started to describe some of the shadows of the three. Mm-hmm. And something happened to me that had never happened to me in my life. I felt physically this rush of panic come across me. Mm-hmm. And it almost started like, it started from my legs and it started coming up and I felt myself like exposed. And all of a sudden someone was giving language to some of the internals of my world that I'd never even been able to give language to myself. Right. And, and honestly, it terrified me. Mm-hmm. And I remained, kept composure, uh, you know, just sort of gently closed the conversation and left. And, and I realized, oh, I'm a three. Right. And this opened a whole journey for me. The Enneagram has been the most transformative tool of my spiritual life, certainly for the last decade. Wow. That's and good. Particularly as a three, and what I love about it so much is, is, is learning about um, the, the shadow side of, of my, my type. And it, it gives language and it gives structure, it gives handles to the way that I am interpreting the world, some of the things that I am, I am in, intuitively believing that are perhaps not true. And, and I really felt the Holy Spirit use that content in me in, in public situations. That's fascinating. Yeah, you know, um, let's... Can, let's ooh, ooh, can I ask a question first? I'm so sorry. I just want to know if you allowed it. Did you have to allow the Holy Spirit to do oh, that? Oh, absolutely. And, and it took some time. I mean, the, the funny thing about Enneagram is when someone's on the outside looking in and they don't understand it, it's not, it's not a fast learn. Yep. It's, it's not like, um, all right, so what does everyone say? Oh, I don't know about Enneagram. Let me take the test. And you go, well, you know, you can take a test but it's possible that you're not self-aware enough to be able to take a test. Right. And people who love you and know you the best are going to have to help affirm mm-hmm. and confirm mm-hmm. what number you are. Right. I think I wanted to be an eight and it turns out I'm a three. Yeah. Um, but, you know, certainly by all means, the more I learned about this, and I think my, my collection of friends have been on this journey together. Mm-hmm. And... Um, when they also know your number, there's an accountability that comes That's with right. that, particularly in social settings, and particularly as a three. Uh, if, uh, threes are inclined to want to impress all the time. Well, when I find myself doing that, I look over and I have a collection of friends who are just smiling and nodding, like, oh, we know what you're doing yeah. right now. Yeah. But there's actually a fellowship of. Um, there's a fellowship of sanctification, I think, that comes through that. Yeah, yeah. I love that language, fellowship of sanctification. Okay, I'm so sorry I interrupted. You go. <laughs> so I, I want to explore the, the, the dark side, but also make a comment because I think you've raised something very important. I think oftentimes, you know, information is power for all of us, you know, particularly fives, but everyone, you know, information is power, period. And, and one of the things that we try to encourage people is never to weaponize your knowledge about the Enneagram and use it in any way to, you know, scold or, uh, you know, shame somebody for a yeah. particular behavior, right? Yeah. In fact, 
I think in, in, in church circles, it only should be used as a, as a means of encouragement sure. to other people. And so I'm really, I'm really glad that you, that you raised that. You're, you represent the most image conscious number yes. uh, on the Enneagram, moving toward the sort of dark side, which I think will help people. Your, your need is to succeed or yes. to appear successful yes. at the very least, and to never fail, to never fail right Can, do you have any story that might help flesh that out for people where you've experienced that personally especially as a pastor where oh my gosh that stuff's t- i mean it's tough to deal with yeah as i've met with therapists over the years and and sort of looked at my story both coming to the united states and then getting in church environments that um, have scale and then even the position of being a public figure in a church, being a pastor, uh, it, it's been really interesting. You know, I've, I've, <laughs> I've said to counselors before, you know, like, is it possible that, that I'm a pastor because of my brokenness, not because of my calling? Mm-hmm. That's rich. And, uh, you know, is, is that what's actually led me? Is it possible that I intuitively am just finding a bunch of, of, of things to achieve and or ladders to climb and it hasn't been a conscious thought but it's been something that I find myself doing because I get my I get meaning and self-worth and significance from these things um and like great Christian therapists will do they'll say that's a wonderful question to ask and you should be thinking on that but what is true in most cases is that we are a collection of both broken and beautiful things and God uses all of these things he reveals our calling and he helps identify brokenness. And we're on this journey of becoming healthy and whole in, in understanding all of these things. Mm, that is really uh, a wonderful, wonderful set of insights. So on a similar theme, deceit, right? Deceit is the deadly sin, right, of, of threes. And um, I think that's Maybe why you were describing an experience of when Shauna said to you, you know, just sort of described your, yeah. your, 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 uh, the way that you present, right? Yes. Three Sue's, right? They typically, like during a workshop, right? They have the most difficult time hearing their number of any other yeah. number. The level of exposure, yes. which is tied into this issue of deceit, or uh, which is not, no, I'm going to let you describe it. it it's not lying. As much as what I'm sure you know. Well, can you just talk to us a little bit about deceit? Yeah, what threes do really well is they're very comfortable controlling the amount of information that is that is shared. So my wife's a one, and um, she's in these situations where if someone asks a probing question, she feels as though she's just got to answer it with with absolute transparency. And to me, I feel completely in control in those situations. I will allow people as much information as I feel I want to allow and feel no pressure to disclose anything. And I can even, I, I even feel like I can make people feel like I've been more transparent than I actually have. Mm-hmm. Enneagram has, has helped me understand, the, you know, sort of my, my patterns of doing this sort of thing. But on the area of, of, of deceit, so much of it goes on on the inside. Mm. You're projecting life better than it really is. It's the ultimate example of social media, really. You're constantly presenting a highlight reel oh. and not any of the, of the real life. Did you just say highlight reel? Because yeah. now I'm that bitter that's so not good. in my book. It's not in our book. We don't have highlight reel in our book for threes. 
That's really good. And, it's going uh, on the road with me starting right now. right now. Well, you guys are kind. It's not original to me. But uh, what has been helpful is what threes do is, it, it's to your point, it's not necessarily lying, but sometimes you know that people are thinking better of you than they probably should and you're happy to allow that. Mm. So one of the things that I have tried to do on my journey and by no means have arrived but this past Sunday, I was, uh, we're talking about prayer in our church right now. And I just felt, and this actually came out of a counseling session that I had recently. But I, but I just said to the church, I said, you know, a pastor has to, has to talk about a lot of issues throughout the course of a year. We talk about family and marriage and parenting. And we talk about finances. Uh, we talk about personal evangelism and prayer there is a temptation to project a level of mastery over all of these things right? because you feel as though that's what people want from you. And the truth is that's not true. I struggle with all of these things like, like everyone else does. And so I don't want to stand up there and, and project a, a sense that I have all of these things worked out and so do as I do because, and then you're going to be good. I'm not a super Christian. I'm someone who tries to find balance in all of these things. Sometimes I'm a terrible husband and I'm, I'm a disconnected dad. And, um, you know, sometimes I, I don't manage money very well or, or whatever it may be. I, I don't think a three necessarily is, is, is saying I am excellent at these things. But a three can, even in my profession, can preach in a way that is, is uh, um, creating a presumption of mastery over a particular issue. And I think that that is some of the ways that threes tend to um, be deceitful. Mm. You know, um, there's a lot of talk about the negative side of the Enneagram or what we three would call the shadow side. And I had a lot of pressure when I first started teaching people wanting me to teach the Enneagram from a positive perspective. So finally, because I'm a two, I gave in and said, okay. So I did a free workshop taught all the positive qualities of all the numbers for a day and had people come who didn't know their Enneagram number and they didn't know when they came and they didn't know when they left. Mm. Yeah. And I think one of the gifts of the Enneagram is not only does it say to us the things that we know but haven't articulated, but it also says for us the things that we sort of know but don't want to articulate. Yes. So one of the most important things for threes is that they believe, not just think, but I, I believe they believe that they are loved for what they do and not for who they are. Yes. And so it takes great failure followed by great love for threes to learn that that's not true. Yeah. Otherwise, they never get that. So um, can you talk about the difference in what you learn from success and what you learn from failure? Is it a palpable difference? Is it subtle? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's visceral when, when you have failure and discover that people that are closest to you treat you no different at all. It's, it's almost like the central operating system of your mind. It just explodes because you think this is, this is shattering my worldview or everything that I intuitively believe about the world. And, um, and that's certainly been true in my marriage. It's certainly been true, you know, with my children and, and with my closest friends. Um, 
but to your point, I think that that is the the thing that actually sets threes free is when is when they do fail. Right. And um, sometimes the more public, the better, because that also helps them understand that that, that the people that love them don't are not trying to get close to them because of their image or because of their success or because of their accomplishments, but they just they just love them. They do. Yeah, I, it's very interesting to me. And, and you know, one of the things I think feeds into what you're talking about when you're preaching about all the topics that you preach about and um, sort of appearing to know and have the answers but aware that you don't have it all together either, do you find that people just ask you questions like they think you're going to know the answer? It's astonishing to me how people just walk up to threes and say, how do airplanes stay in the air? And then I look at the threes and they answer. Yeah. Or, you know, it's fascinating. No, no, absolutely. And particularly people come in after the service or, you know, line up and want to talk. The bandwidth of topics that I get asked about, to your point, with the assumption that you're going to know, you know, so I, I, have, I have CEOs of businesses who come up and say, now, listen, we're trying to work out whether we should go public or not. And, and they start breaking down what they want to do. And I'm thinking to myself, I went to seminary, not, I don't have an MBA, you know, but there is an assumption, but, but there is certainly a temptation of like, well, here's what you need to do. That's right. And you, know, and you start laying out three things, the best three things that you can think of at the right. time rather than going, I have no idea. Right, mm. right. The, um, again, some hallmark features of, of threes is this fixation on productivity, efficiency, you know, getting that job, getting that job done uh, as quickly as possible, even if that means sometimes taking some shortcuts, right, to yeah. get there and crushing goals, just crushing them. You, you know, you, you throw it up, kill it, throw it up, kill it. You know, it's like, oh, we got 500 people, we need 1,000 by next year. You know what I mean? It's like three to five year goals, going to kill it. And, and, and so this whole idea of doing all the time is a, like, this is, has all wrapped up in identity and as we've said before, twos, threes, and fours, we really wrestle with the whole issue of identity, and uh, we project images in different ways as a way of securing a sense of, of identity. I heard a, uh, a quote the other day that, that I thought about threes when I, when I came across it. It's Evelyn Underhill is just such a genius 20th century uh, Catholic mystic. She says, we spend most of our lives conjugating three verbs, to want, to have, and to do when the fundamental verb of the spiritual life is to be. Mm. So how do you, from a spiritual discipline standpoint, how have you learned to be, which is a big thing for a three? Yeah, I, th I think I'm still learning to do that. The Enneagram has helped um, enormously with, again, just giving me some handles, particularly on some of the, the, the shadow side of, of my type. Not only do I evaluate myself on competency, but I have certainly sensed the Holy Spirit whisper to me that I evaluate other people by competency. Mm. And that's not how Jesus evaluates people. That's not how Jesus values people, you know? And, um, and I have, that has been something that I've really had to grapple with because that is not the kingdom of God. Um, for me, some of the, the practices that I am trying to adopt to become healthy is things that are very much not public, contemplative, being still, um, 
you know, meditating on scripture, um, the, the, the kind of things that are, that, that are not, they're not public at all. It's not in, it's not in front of an audience. Right. How, um, I don't know how old you are. I'm 42. Okay. That, that's very helpful for my next question. So how did you define success in your 20s and how in your early 30s and how do you define success now? My goodness. Well, I've been in ministry since I was 23, since I moved to the U.S. In fact, uh, I didn't come over here to work in ministry. Um, I, I accidentally got a pastor's visa. I wasn't, I wasn't eligible for a pastor's visa. I'd never been a pastor before, but the INS officer misread my, my application and gave me a pastor's visa. And so if I wanted to stay, yeah. But people say, how do you know you're called to being a pastor? I'm like, the US government, basically. They, they called me into this. I love that story so much. Tell us your call story. Yeah. Well. It's, it's so serendipitous. Yeah. Yeah. It was in the American embassy in Melbourne. That's how I found my call from a, um, an administrative <laughs> error. So out of fear of getting deported, I've been preaching for the last 18 years. So <laughs> That's so great. Um, so I, 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 was a, I was a reluctant pastor. When I got into the church space, um, I felt like in my 20s I got affirmed for my gifts. Uh, I, I, liked, I liked public speaking. Lots of people don't like it. I, I liked it not uncommon for threes. And so certainly I would be thinking scale and, and size and more is better. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, in my thirties, I got to be in an environment that had lots and lots of people and, um, and got to see that that didn't fulfill like I thought it would. It didn't do what I thought it would do. Huh. Um, being at world, flame, world famous Willow Creek, uh, th- there was no ever any feeling of arrival. There was, I, I was still the guy that was sort of trying to strive. Um, so I, I don't think it was any, it wasn't early in my 30s, but certainly late in my 30s, um, I started to realize I had children and um, my world got smaller instead of my world getting bigger. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I just remember there would be times where I would be playing with my kids and I had this conscious thought, there is a lot of really cool things going on around the world right now that I'm missing out on Mm -hmm. and there's nowhere else I'd rather be Mm -hmm. than playing with my little girl. That was new for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my world started to get smaller instead of starting to get larger. Then in my 40s, um, which sort of coincided with us planning a new church. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had the opportunity to be thinking about what is the value system going to be of our new thing. Uh, oh, I wasn't yeah. working for um, a, a boss anymore, so to speak. I was really like, if I'm working myself into the ground, I got no one to blame anymore. Right. This is this is me, and um, and and so we, my wife and I, really started to think more about what we want to value in life, how we want it to feel. Um, the truth is the um, trying to grow your church to a certain level 
is it, it, it's a it's an empty bag. It, it you know it doesn't it doesn't. There's not a special number, and then you hit it, and you're like, we're there, you know. And and I I feel like I have learned that in my heart. You know, we we have um, we have people coming now. If we were twice the size, I don't think I'd feel any different. If we were ten times the size, I don't think I would feel mm-hmm. any different, any mm-hmm. more fulfilled. You know, I I think I I'm learning to want to be more faithful. In, in what God is calling me to do with the people that are around me. Mm-hmm. But that's been a journey. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. your orientation in time is the future. Yes. So it's very hard not to always be planning for the future. Yes. So in, in light of that talk about goals and goal setting, one of the things that I've observed about threes is I don't think they really uh, get to experience reaching a goal. Because when they know they're there, they move on to the next one. When they know they've met the mark, then they're on to the next goal and the next goal. And I I think that lack of completion spiritually or internally or thoughtfully leaves um, a thirst that isn't necessary. Mm. I'm, I'm wondering if you have a response to that, and that's, uh, you don't have to have, but I'm just, I, I think threes are hungrier and thirstier than they need to be because there's food on the table. Yeah. It's just that they walked by. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that definitely resonates with me and it's exhausting. It's exhausting. It, 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 it's like it, it never ends. And, um, and again, that comes from this deep down belief that I am what I do and I'm only as good as what I have most recently achieved, mm-hmm. which is a real challenge when you're a preacher. Mm, you every know? week. So, you know, you, you preach and if it goes well, a bunch of people say, that was really great. And I think to myself, yeah, but I got to do it again next week. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, I'm six and a half days away from having to do this again. Right. And um, it, it's sort of that never ending um, cycle. And, and it is absolutely exhausting. Um, there's a, a great pastor whose name is Thomas Long who uh, says that leadership is um, knowing the answer to this question. What is it that if I don't do it, nobody else can or will? What is it as a lead pastor and a three that if you don't do it, nobody else can or will? Well, that question is kind of accessing the resources of my three um, I mean, I, I certainly think casting vision and direction for the church, um, being still enough to be able to hear God's heart for our community, um, being the vision caster, being the person that helps, um, uh, you know, uh, align people and mobilize people into a similar direction. Um, yeah, they are the natural things that come to mind. And I do ask that question a lot because our organization has grown so much. Um, we have to, at different times, reinvent completely the way that we do things. We were church planners a handful of years ago, and it's kind of where you did everything. And then, and now we have more staff and systems and people and all of that. And I got to protect my time if I don't get time in God's presence mm-hmm. and really hear His voice and what He's trying to say to our community, so that I can not just inspire people, but but prophetically speak to our people right. with what what is on God's heart for our community. 
I'm actually not doing my job very well. Right. And I don't want to build our church on my charisma. Mm-hmm. I want to build it on genuinely what God is doing in our midst, in the time in history that we're living in. And I, I don't want people to be connected to me. It's one of the reasons why we don't do, we have, we have four locations and we don't do video teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and and th- there's nothing wrong with, with doing that. We just chose not to. I don't want to amplify a single personality. We want to be able to raise up multiple personalities that are really incarnated in that community and can really pastor that community um, so that we're not just taking one set of gifts, one person's personal charisma and amplifying that across the city to build a movement. Right. That's good. Good, Mm. good. We had a conversation, uh, Suzanne and I, with... uh, um, by Skype with a group of salespeople who are going to be representing the book to different retailers and all that stuff. And now this is the first book uh, since about the year 2000 that a book's been written within the, the, the bigger sort of wider Christian world about the Enneagram uh, since Richard's book in, what was that, 1999, 2000? 2000, right? I think. Um, and this is particularly, you know, appealing or we think will appeal to the more Protestant side of the of the church now there were some questions in from the salespeople, which is like well what do we say to retailers or small particularly independent bookstores who say to us is this christian like is this something that's okay or is this a little weird so what i know what we said which i mean i hope was coherent and and persuasive but what we said we, it's Christian. We're a little weird. Yeah, yeah. You got this wrong. You need to interview us. First. What would you say to someone who said, "I don't, jeez, I don't, I don't know, Darren. This thing smells like it's not Christian. This thing called the Enneagram. Like, what, what would you say?" Well, rather than trying to argue the origins of Enneagram or the theology of Enneagram, I would share from a testimonial standpoint, um, there has been nothing that has worked more in cooperation with the Holy Spirit in my life, particularly in the shadow side of, of me, the, the bit that people don't see right. than the Enneagram, mm-hmm. um, the language that, I mean, so much so as a three, and if people really understand what a three is like, um, I, I love the the whole idea of taking each number and saying when, when, a, when a three walks into a room, they yeah. think this, when a seven walks into a room, when an eight, you know, like that is, that is so helpful. And I, I think about that. I, I sense the Holy Spirit bringing this to mind. It's like when you memorize scripture and he brings a scripture to mind. Mm-hmm. Enneagram in conjunction with scripture has done that for me. When you walk into a room, there is a sense of like, all right, my temptation right now is to be someone I'm not, to try to succeed in this environment, to be what other people want me to be. And I am purposely going to curtail my personality right now because I'm trying to get something from this environment that is not from the Lord. Mm. And that's what Enneagram has done for me. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when, when I'm temp- particularly, you know, threes make great first impressions, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I find when I'm meeting people, I just, I, I'm about to say something and I, I sense the Holy Spirit say, uh, uh, here you go again, mm-hmm. don't do that. These are things that no one will ever know. Like no one can ever see like, right. and, and even like, I, I do have Enneagram accountability around me who go, you know, oh, really? Um, Darren's having lunch with so-and-so important person. Thanks for telling us, you know. Um, 
there's that. But then there's also just, I just sense the Holy Spirit whispering, you know, it's, it's the, this is my son whom I love in him I'm well pleased. Right. And that has got to go from my head to my heart. And I think that Enneagram has helped me on that journey. And, and, and truthfully, it's, I, it's what I will struggle with for the rest of my life. Right. 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 Well, let's get those guys on the phone again, can we? You remember when we had uh, Nadia Boltz-Weber on and she talked about being an eight and uh-huh. walking to a room and knowing that she could change the direction of the planning committee, that she had the power just by the office of pastor and by her eightness and all of that to change what was about to happen in the room. And she didn't use exactly your language, but she said, but I know I have to wait and let things emerge and let things happen. And if you're a three or a seven or an eight on the Enneagram and you are an aggressive number, it's it's not in your nature to wait and it's not in the nature of the rest of us to be comfortable if you do wait. It's right. like it puts responsibility somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've to, to that point, I, I've also been asking myself, what am I unconsciously projecting onto the church that I lead as a three? Mm-hmm. The kind of people that we hire, the kind of goals that we set, the kind of practices that we have or behaviors that we applaud. Like, And, and I've had other people on my team who love Enneagram as well, help say, you know, that's a very three thing. And if we want to be a complete and holistic, fully rounded organization, then we need to give voice to, to some of these other types that can speak into the overall direction of our church as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. We, we had a, a retreat, uh, Suzanne was on and Joe, uh, some, some time ago in New York City that I hosted uh, called The Sacramental Imagination. And we, we got into this conversation actually with Aaron Nequist, and, mm-hmm. and it was about, he had this epiphany, which was, oh my gosh, he's a four, I'm a four, and you, you, which is kind of a, a quirky number, right? And you, you start to have this realization like, oh my gosh, there are eight other numbers. I mean, there are a, a thousand people in here, let's say, or 500 people. There are eight other numbers in here who do not see the world nor hear yes. what I am saying the same way, yes. right? So does that, has that sort of changed the way that when, when you're preaching or praying out loud, do you think to yourself, I've got to make sure this isn't just for the threes in the room? Yes, absolutely. And, and to be thinking about, you know, the example that you've used, Suzanne, about the nine sets of glasses, mm-hmm. that produces so much compassion in me mm-hmm. because people are genuinely seeing the world differently, interpreting it differently, and then behaving out of that knowledge and out of that motivation. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I lean towards activism. I lean towards action. I lean towards achievement and storming a hill and rallying people together. And and uh, yeah, there's, there is uh, eight other numbers in the crowd that are, that are motivated and thinking differently to me. Mm. Now, there are also some that really like it and go, well, I'm glad that you're a three because I'm not, and, and that helps us get us going. But there are also others that it sort of repels them a little bit. Yeah. It really does speak to, you know, we need the whole body. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we, we need every piece. And, and, and hopefully, I think in any community, what happens is, is that other numbers correct the excesses of our own. Yes. You know, and, and then begins to, to, to work in harmony. This has been a, this has been a remarkable time with a very self-aware three, Suze. Absolutely. Our time, is our time up? Yeah, Jim, Jim, 
nasty Jim, our our engineer, yeah, is he over there. His he's hands over there. Actually, he's he's grabbing his neck. He's got a. He's just yeah, threatening trouble. to hurt himself unless we stop. So, Darren, um, would you please come back on yeah, the show sometime? I'd love to. I would love that too. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, think. For the next few months about things I'd like for us to talk about. Absolutely. That'd be wonderful. And then when next time you're here, we're gonna we're gonna have our theme music be in excess. Michael Hutchins. Yes. I, you know the eighties was a, a great music time for Australia, and I listened to a lot of music out of Australia in those days. The thing that threatens me a little bit about that is you know, they often say about fours that they are in excess. And then if we have in excess mm. music oh, and And you should have seen me in the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> Darren, thank you, Suze. See you later. All righty. Thanks again, Darren. Bye, Ian. You've been listening to The Road Back to You, looking at life through the lens of the Enneagram. Produced by Jim Chafee, and our engineer is Brad Bass. Our theme music is provided by the band Waterdeep from their album Moment, written by Lori Chaffee. Please visit our website, www.theroadbacktoyou.com, for news, more podcasts, and a list of our public appearances around the country. And you can order our book, The Road Back to You, An Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery, at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. And listen, folks, next week, we've got the great singer, songwriters, and authors, Cindy Morgan, a four on the Enneagram, and Andrew Greer, a two on the Enneagram. You better uh, better be with us because you're going to hear some great music coming from the studio. And, of course, my friend Suzanne Stabile will be here, too, with me. Bye. Bye.